0: Hello and welcome to the Autism and Neurodiversity Podcast. I'm Jason Grigla and today I'm going to discuss with you some practical things that have to do with transitioning your loved one into independence and self-reliance. So I want to make it clear that it's important for parents to have their eyes wide open and not fall into the trap that because they are 18 or 19 or they've just graduated from high school that they are then ready to move out and be independent i've told the story before of how when when my sons turned 18 or at least my oldest son turned 18 i was really excited to have him move out and i thought my journey was done turns out i wasn't done and um, being a religious person, I felt strongly that God told me, no, I couldn't even kick him out. And I really wanted to kick him out. And there were a lot of reasons for that. It wasn't because I was lazy or, or sick of parenting. I, I think there was destructive things going on to my younger children and my marriage. Um, and I didn't feel like anything was working to benefit my son. So anyway, I, I wanted it to be done at 18 and it was not done at 18. And in some ways, because I I love my children, it's never going to be done. But the shift from being the parent role and having them be in the child role doesn't end because they turn 18. And we know that. I know that's not news to you. The thing that happens more often than not is parents understand that fact, but then at the same time, they will assume things that are on, in different parts of their brain. For example, well, once they go off to college, if they're ready to go off to college, that just means they graduated high school. So they must be ready for college because they're good at being a student and because they're good at doing homework or whatever it is. And we forget about all the other aspects of what independence entails. So, executive functioning follow-through living things we know those and i think mothers are especially good at sensing and picking out the things that are more organic and not as specific as do they have money Uh, having money doesn't necessarily equate into independence or just having a job for example or just being able to go to school we have quite a few students who couldn't go to school. But then once they got into learning how to be a college student, they learned that skill set, and then they were golden until four or five or even six years later when they graduate, and then they're stuck because they don't have another skill set, the skill set of taking their college degree and moving it into a career path. And so along the way, we we need to build different skill sets and switching gears is often really hard. And so specifically what we look at when someone is ready to move into a more independent self-reliant setting are the practical areas of first of all physical health that includes hygiene, that includes cleanliness around the house, that includes uh, food and diet and it also m- includes some form of exercise and each one of those, could be um, a weak spot, a weak link in the chain, that could make them living alone, impossible or really difficult or crash. So just the hygiene factor, if they're good at exercise, maybe they walk everywhere they go. And you chose to not buy them a car because the only exercise they get is walking great. But if they don't clean their house, Then they end up having cockroaches and smells that make the neighbors angry or ruin the home. It just becomes unhygienic. And then um, it's not like hoarding, but it can become uh, literally dangerous from, from bacteria and or mold. The other issue would be if they, for example, won't eat well and their diet consists of only carbs, or only specific foods, or they forget to eat completely and they lose a lot of weight, or they just sit and eat all day because they're emotional eaters and they don't exercise, then it becomes hard because nobody is there to manage those things. So we look at their eating and are they capable of providing for for their own food. And then as far as hygiene goes and cleanliness, my level of cleanliness has changed throughout my life, depending on my circumstances and my maturity. theirs does as well. If cleanliness keeps them from getting or keeping a job or getting and keeping friends because of smell or look or dress, it just makes it really hard. Even if um, even if they're to find a group of friends that don't care about how you dress or smell or whether or not you ever comb your hair or cut your hair, it's going to be difficult when you surround yourself with people who might not be doing anything else. Usually how we take care of ourselves physically is a sign and a barometer of how we care for ourselves in our functioning and our performative things like work and social. So when, when we talk about readiness, we're looking for weakest links, not whether or not they're a good student. The weakest link in the chain is where the chain breaks and so often we have students who are really good at a lot of areas and i love focusing on their strengths the problem is as parents we we tend to want to assess their functioning level based on their their best abilities instead of their weakest links so looking at their weakest links if it's permanently our perspective and that's all we see then we're also going to shut them down and throw water onto their fire and they'll they'll be put out and and they won't be self-sparking and they won't be self uh, functioning uh, self-starting so we want to focus on strengths but when we're doing assessment that's not judgment assessment is what can they do what can they not do passionless emotionless what is the facts then we want to look at the weak areas. So many of our students will get hired for their strengths in any field. Uh, Maybe they're highly social and they're really good at talking to people and they want to engage all the time. At the same time, maybe they engage too much and they say inappropriate things, or maybe they never get anything done that's a peripheral because they just want to be social all the time. Um, Or maybe they're really good at anything technological or working specifically on a task but because they have time blindness they can't get tasks done that needed to be done in the right order and everything falls apart Um, or if they can't resolve conflict and their anxiety keeps them stuck from advocating for themselves or talking about what's needed we're talking about a problem that they're they're facing that probably isn't even their fault And even if it was, their job would be to go to their supervisor or a mentor and say, hey, I'm I'm stuck. And if they won't do that, it doesn't matter how good they are. They're not going to be able to pass on to a functioning employee situation. And so just a thought, jobs are a part of their development. They are not the final judgment of I'm ready to be a perfect employee in all situations. So lots of our students and our loved ones will have to be in and out of jobs to learn the skill sets and what we want to do to mitigate those might be a whole nother podcast, but in general, we want to mitigate their self-loathing, their shame, their feelings of failure. That means we have to manage our frustration that another job has come and gone and they still haven't learned how to keep a job or stay in a job so having and having jobs keeping jobs and learning from them the right lessons knowing that they'll jump from job to job quite often or way more than a typical person is a part of their development process which takes them into their mid to late 20s and maybe longer if they're just disabled and there's some dysfunction that's probably not going to go away so looking at their weakest links the areas of readiness we talked about physical The next one would be managing a schedule on their own, managing time, managing their focus and their ability to follow a schedule. And I know that some of our loved ones are really great at following schedules to the T, and that might be their rigidity that saves them, but also makes it difficult for other things to happen. Like if something comes up and there's a crisis or a change or a shift, they may not handle it really well. A lot of our students look forward to the holiday break because they don't have to do anything and they can be totally dysfunctional. But other students, when the holiday break comes along and they lose their structure, they fall apart. They become depressed or anxious or irritable or angry. They get into trouble because they like the rigid, understood schedule. So the weakness there is personal and unique and different for everybody. Uh, being savvy enough and capable enough not to be taken advantage of is the next one, especially for our our female daughters who are sought out by others to have sexual interactions with. Um, or if your if your son is gay, there is a high probability that there are people who will push to have physical sexual relationships with them, and if we can't protect them from that and they can't protect themselves that's a real factor that's important to take into take into account and i'm i'm always surprised how many neurodivergent teens and young adults and even adults are catfished or scammed into sending money because they are highly susceptible to needing and wanting relationships so badly that they're willing to ignore the red flags that come up. Another area besides being able to protect themselves is to advocate and to even understand they need to advocate. Um, Another safety factor would be their awareness of their physical proximities. Some of our students are highly clumsy, highly unaware of traffic. They'll cross the road if they wanna cross the road without thinking about cars, because they're in their own bubble and they're in their own world, um, or they're on their device. Uh, maybe they are driving a car or driving a bike or a scooter, and if they won't wear a helmet because they're adults and you can't make them, or they're even teens and you can't make them, uh, but they're also highly likely to get into a car wreck because they don't have the wherewithal to watch everything, then that's, that's something to practice and learn the skill sets or find ways to require them to wear a helmet and hope and pray like we do with all of our kids that they don't kill themselves while they're in the learning process. Some of our our neurodivergent loved ones will never be able to drive or maybe never be safe to ride a bike or a scooter. We'll just need to figure that out. But I think it's worth the risk to some extent and we have to decide where that line is for how to practice and how many wrecks do they get in before you say, okay, we've done enough. I'm not willing to keep pushing at this because they aren't actually getting better. Another thing to think about with all of these areas of weakness are just because they aren't ready now doesn't mean they won't be ready in the future. Maybe you come back to driving or riding a scooter or bike four years down the road, and for some reason, their maturity level has increased to where they just, now they're aware of their surroundings better or they're aware of their body better and they're not as clumsy, which is all good. Talking about how to prepare food, I know going back to parents who, for example, will invite their child over to their home to eat as often as they want for meals, which can be a really great option. Uh, Another option would be to have meals shipped to them where they come in the mail prepackaged and they have to cook them. And I know a lot of people who have that done and they end up not wanting to cook the meal because it's not their favorite. They throw out the food and they get maybe they get five meals or eight meals or 12 meals a week delivered and they end up eating one out of the the 12 or none because they aren't interested in cooking. So finding the right solution to the fit is hard and takes some work. I highly discourage parents from allowing their children to do DoorDash or Uber Eats. I know you want them to eat at the same time. The food that they get from DoorDash and Uber Eats is often the worst, unhealthiest food. And if they have no reason to get up and go get their own food, they're never going to get out of their chair. They're never going to get out of their couch. They're never going never gonna to get off their screens. And they're only going to eat what's comfortable, fast and easy, which is usually high carbs, high fatty foods, dense calorie foods. One of the things, there's there's very few things that make us uncomfortable enough that we have to move. For me, I'm uncomfortable if I'm not achieving or accomplishing or connecting or getting outdoors. For neurodivergents who are overwhelmed, they're not motivated by the same things. So if they can get away with sitting in their chair and eating comfortably the foods that they don't really care or think about makes them sick, obese, unhealthy, lethargic, Dulls their brain, their ability to think well. They they don't take those things into account, like someone with higher brain thinking does. It's setting them up to be comfortably miserable, and that's why a lot of those on the spectrum um, have a lower lifespan. They are unhealthy. They don't have good hygiene for brushing their teeth or showering or those types of things. So, don't make them comfortable. Is I guess my point. The other factor in all of this would be their willingness to let you partner with them. So we've got capability, and we've been talking about capacity and ability and capability. And the second part is, okay, they might be capable, but are they willing? Even if they're capable, if they're not willing, it doesn't matter. If they're not willing to let you partner with them, then that's another whole factor altogether. For example, you might be willing to help clean their house or bring in cleaners every two weeks to their to their apartment or their room. But if they're not willing to let you influence them, if they're not willing to let you drive them around, you're going to have to face that partnership as well. So one of the weakest links isn't their capability. It's their willingness to do things that are self promoting, which brings us to how do we help them be uncomfortable in their situation, so they're willing to do something about it. The classic example is they're not willing to brush their teeth, until they value having friends enough that they don't want to have yellow teeth or bad breath, and they actually make that connection, which sometimes doesn't happen until they're much older than their peers in that scenario. So weakest link is not how we judge, but it's how we assess. Focusing on their strengths helps us keep hope, helps them build confidence and self-esteem, making connections with them and helping them understand if you're good at this and you can do hard things in this area, you can also be good at this and do hard things in this area if you're willing. At the same time, we need to be wise enough as mentors, to look at their weakest links and not have it be judgment, but assessment assessment, and unconditional positive regard along with with that, that you're not good at this, and what can we do to mitigate it? So don't be afraid to do assessment. Don't be so afraid that they're not going to go to college that you refuse to look at the reality of the weakest links that are going to make them fail. And having them fail going off to college their first semester is way worse then doing it right, even if it's a very slow grind, even if it takes a lot of time and effort, having a positive first experience outside of the home will save you five to 10 times the amount of work and effort trying to pick up the pieces from someone who's crashed. That's what I want for you and for your loved one and for my loved ones and my students is to maximize success and move forward and mitigate their weaknesses. So thanks for joining me today. I hope there was some perspectives that triggered some aha's for you. And we're gonna talk a little bit more um, in my next podcast actually about how to accept their level of functioning and their level of life, quality of life that they want. So we'll talk to you soon. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Autism and Neurodiversity with Jason and Debbie. If you want to learn more about our work, come visit us at jasondebbie.com. That's J A S O N D E B B I E.com.